Final outline, habits of growth, patterns of life that strengthen godliness and weaken sin. What I have in mind with this final session is that all of the exercise regimens and brilliance in the world doesn't make up for eating Twinkies and never sleeping, okay? So let's imagine that you had the most brilliant, exercised, new, you know, coach in the world, and they just knew everything. They knew all the different muscle groups and what kind of rest day should look like and how much cardio and how much, and you, and you just were really blessed to have this person in your corner all the time. But your, your regular diet consisted of Twinkies, and you stayed up every night all night. All of this brilliance for this coach is going to be worthless if the habits of your life don't contribute uh, to that goal. The, the regular habits, I'm not talking about the habits we've been talking about, uh, about striving for godliness, but just the normal rhythm of your life. I'd like to uh, to begin with this principle, which ought to be obvious to us, but it's, it's one we need to be reminded of. We ought to schedule our lives with the goal of godliness. We ought to schedule our lives with the goal of godliness. Loving and obeying God ought to be the defining principle of how we schedule our life. This is just a reminder, but you all know Mark 12, 28-31, one of the scribes came up to Jesus and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, Jesus, answered him well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That verse should be the defining principle of our schedule. The Westminster Larger Catechism asks this as its first question, what is the chief and highest end of man? The answer, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him. Forever. St. Augustine, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. What this means, I think, at even a basic level, is that we need to watch the dangerous overscheduling of good things. Most of us, if we've been a Christian any length of time, don't schedule our life around evil things. Most of us. Now, it's possible that there are some evil things in our schedule that must be removed. But, but most of us don't start our week, our month, or just roll into how many evil blocks can I fit in my schedule. That's, that's not what's on your calendar. Evil from two to four. That's not what happens. But what can happen is that many good things so fill up our schedule that eventually it becomes overcrowded with good things, and we become a person bopping from good thing to good thing in such a way that we forget that our life is about God. And the good things are to help us 
please God. The goal is God, not the good things. If they help us to serve God, great. But if they become the God, not great. So we have to be careful about overscheduling ourselves with good things. I think that's the primary test. You all have heard before, and it's been brought up to me perhaps more than any other illustration, the suitcase illustration that I used a couple of years ago where you're going on a trip, and you pack everything except for your Bible, and then the Bible just will not stay in. And you keep cramming it in, and it won't stay in. And you're frustrated because you know you're supposed to have it in, but it just keeps popping out all the time. And the illustration was meant to say, what do you do in that situation? Start over. Start with the thing that must be in, and then when you get to the end and something doesn't fit, take it out. Take it out. That's true of many areas of life that we should schedule our, our lives, our families' lives for the purpose of, of godliness. It also means we have to make radical changes to avoid obvious temptation. Two, two obvious principles from this idea. We have to be careful of overscheduling good things. And we have to be willing to make radical changes to avoid obvious temptation. I'll get into that as we go through some of these priorities. Let me just give four, four priorities that must be in our schedule as, let's call them first things. First things. They must be in there as first things, and then other good things must find their place around them. First things. I, I love the book Habits of Grace, and actually you should have picked up in the back if you haven't already, I put together a, a reading list, I, I asked Ken and Aaron as well, a reading list on some favorite books about sanctification and godliness, and also about personal devotions and family worship, those are just uh, for your perusal, and if you haven't read some of them, I would recommend, uh, recommend them, but David Matheson, an excellent, excellent book, Habits of Grace, says, God's regular channels of grace, as we will see, are his voice, his ear, and his body. He often showers his people with unexpected favor, but typically, the grace that sends our roots deepest truly grows us up in Christ, prepares our soul for a new day, produces lasting spiritual maturity, and increases the current of our joy, streams from the ordinary and unspectacular paths of fellowship, prayer, and Bible intake, given practical expression in countless forms and habits. Normally, can God do the unexpected? Of course, and he does. But normally, the habits of life that include those are positioned for growth. Let me give you four categories that I want to commend to you as first thing priorities. First, daily devotions of the word and prayer. Daily devotions of the word and prayer. John 15, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We cannot bear fruit and we will produce the thorns of sin. To neglect the priority of abiding in Christ, in his word, and in prayer, is to plan to sin. Let me read that again. To neglect the priority of abiding in Christ, in his word, and in prayer, is to plan to sin. To prioritize abiding in Christ, in his word, and prayer, is to trust that he will work in us by his spirit to produce his own character in our lives. Now, I, I would recommend that you think of this category perhaps similarly to the way someone might think about eating healthy or exercise or something in that category. Here's what I mean by that. Is it possible that by walking extra fast on your way to work that you will gain some 
health. Sure. Is it possible that by taking the steps at your home two at a time, you will gain some physical benefit? Sure. If that is the extent of your exercise, your benefit will be minimal. If we view abiding in Christ as a thing we only do along the way, and we never or rarely have extended focused time on him, the benefit will be minimal. Now, do I believe we should abide in Christ all day long, every moment of every day we are indwelt by his spirit, we are living in relationship with him, we're fighting our sin in his presence? Yes, absolutely. We live in fellowship with our Lord all the time. He is always with us. Yet I would say how many times I've had a conversation with someone, I say, how are, how are you doing in the Lord? Well, I, I, I really do my best to pray on my way to work. I'm glad they pray on their way to work. That's fantastic. Don't stop praying on your way to work. But I would highly recommend that the Lord is worth undistracted time. The Lord is worth undistracted. Yes, pray on your way to work. Totally. Pray at work. Pray when you're coming home from work. Pray before you go to sleep. Pray all the time. Live in the fellowship with the Lord. But the Lord deserves and we ought to need undistracted time on him. That's why I put daily. There is no lifestyle or schedule. No. I would say this categorically. There is no lifestyle or schedule that justifies neglecting a regular pattern of meeting with the Lord in his word and prayer. There is no schedule. I've heard over the years, and I've given myself excuses. Well, this was, I mean, come on, this day. No, I'm sorry. Even the busiest of days, there was time for some undistracted time towards the Lord. Was it 15 minutes? Was it 30 minutes? Was it five minutes on a day that you broke your back and had to make it to the hospital and had four children get lost in the woods? Was there five minutes to spend an undistracted? Yes, there was, even on that day. There was. And on most days, yes, my job just started earlier. Yes, I know. But we need God more than we need that extra 30 minutes of sleep. We do. We do. We all do. Well, but it's really busy at night and I forget. We need God more than we need the extra 30. We really do. Now, we don't do that often because we don't really believe, John 15, that apart from me, you can do nothing. We don't really think <laughs> that to plan to reject this time with the Lord is to plan to sin. We don't really believe that, but we should believe that. And so we ought to give ourselves the practice and the pattern of devoting ourselves to the Lord regularly on a daily basis. Second, first priority, daily family devotions. I'm struck by Deuteronomy 6, where the Lord reminds Israel that he is one, there is only one of him, and he is one. You shall love the Lord your God. Here's the quote that Jesus reused. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, or your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And, and here's the point for our households. You shall teach them diligently to your children. I think this is one of those Old Testament commands that certainly is even amplified as we come into the New Testament. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The metaphor is the word of God, teaching about God, should be the priority and atmosphere for the family schedule. 
the priority in atmosphere. Overwhelmingly. Now, a, a, a quote from Jason Halopoulos, who wrote an excellent book called A Neglected Grace on this topic, says, A Christian home will seek to be centered upon Christ, and if it is centered upon Christ, then it will be filled with worship. As a Christian's life should be marked by setting time apart for secret worship, and just as our gathering together as the Christian community should be centered upon corporate worship, so should the home of a Christian family be marked by family worship. Worship is at the very center and core of what it means for us to be a Christian home. Now, when, you, when he says worship, don't think only singing. It could include singing. But think worship in terms of receiving his word, praying, fellowshipping together around his truth. Uh, now, a clarification I think is needed. By daily, quote unquote, uh, quote, of course, I understand that there are days here or there where we might miss a family devotion. But I would recommend, I really would recommend that we set the goal of a family meeting together daily for prayer and the word as the norm rather than the exception. In other words, I wouldn't want to set the standard at, well, if you can do something once a week, that means that normally there's six weeks, six days, where we didn't gather around the word and prayer in some meaningful way, and if you miss a week, it's been 14 days. Now, that's too long. Of course there's days we're going to miss. I miss days. Many, I've gone seasons before I, I really sought to make this a regular practice. I would go years w- without doing this regularly. But I would strongly recommend that the goal be daily. Some kind of daily. That's just a, a clarification. An encouragement. A family worship can be as simple as reading one verse and listening while the father prays on the family's behalf. So if you're thinking, how do I possibly... Do? I'm not... T- I, I, I'm, I'm recommending something that, yes, it can be complex and intense, but it can be as simple as that. It could include each person working on a memory verse one at a time, or it can include reading a devotional book and then asking simple questions for understanding and application. Regularity and genuine passion are more important than complexity and sophistication. Regularity and genuine passion are more important than complexity and sophistication. I, I would highly recommend to you um, moms that are homemakers, so my wife will do this every morning with the kids. She'll gather them at the breakfast table. They'll have a brief devotional around some book or some passage of scripture. They'll talk about some memory verse one at a time. They'll go around and try to repeat it to them. They'll sing one song. Isn't Amazon Music wonderful? You can just pull it up and sing it all together. Even the lyrics show up for you. And then they'll each pray. Now, some mornings, is it brief and is it less effective when I do it in the morning? Yes, it is. But, but it is a regular. And then at night, I've just given you our, our practice these days. At night, we, we either go through a passage of scripture, we have a brief discussion about it. Or right now, we're going through a book. And we have a brief discussion. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way for you. I would, if it's just once a day, do it. Do it right after dinner. Do it during dinner. Do it right before bed. But do it. Do something where the family is gathered around God's word and prayer. Now, a caution. The parents' zeal and joy in these family devotions are perhaps the single most important human factor in their success. If one or both parents seem regularly bored or distracted or give no creative energy to the time, it would be very difficult for young people to see the value. So, in other words, there's a way to read the story of David and Goliath that's, and David took a sling, and he slung it, and Goliath fell over, and David chopped his head off, let's pray. There's a way to tell it that way, and then there's a way to tell it that says, can you believe this? 
Can you believe this? This little kid? How did that happen? How do you think that happened? How, did, how in the world did he hit that thing? Well, God must have done it. God must have done it. And you see these armies? They were so proud of their champion. And now they're running away. There's ways to do it where you're throwing yourself into it. And there's ways to do it where it's like, Amen. Don't do that. Because if one or both parents are distracted, oh, love, we, have, we don't have time, I have to... Well, the kids definitely are not going to engage then. So let me encourage, I, in my opinion, if one or both parents, it, it's not the complexity of it, it's not the sophistication of it, it's the regularity of it, and it's the throwing of both parents into it. Or if you're a single parent, it's throwing you, yourself into it as much as you can. If you're an oldest sibling, I would begin to add you to that list. If you look bored... When God's word is being read and prayed over, you are tempting your younger siblings. Don't do it. Don't do it. Serve them by throwing yourself into those times. Okay, third regular habit, the Sunday gathering. The Sunday gathering, David Mathis again, corporate worship is the single most important means of grace. <laughs> that is quite a statement. Sunday worship is the single most important means of grace and our greatest weapon in the fight for joy because, because, he gives a reason, like no other means, corporate worship combines all three principles of God's ongoing grace, his word, prayer, and fellowship. It is corporate worship with its preaching and sacraments and collective praises, confessions, petitions, and thanksgivings, which most acutely brings together the gifts of God's voice, his ear, he means by that our prayers to him, and his body. Now, why do we gather? Well, we gather because it's a command. We gather as one body in Christ, celebrating our new life in his resurrection. That's, by the way, why we meet on Sunday. It's symbolically celebrating the resurrection of Christ and the new life we have in him. We gather to humbly hear his word. We gather to sing his praise. We gather to pray in his name. We gather to encourage each other. The list could go on from there, but those are some of the weekly primary things we do. We gather to do all those things together and, and this ought to be for us the best day of the week. And I, I would say this to any Christian. If somebody was here, didn't go to my church, I would say, they do this in your church. This isn't about Redemption Hill. This, this ought to be for every member of a Christian church the way they think about it. This ought to be the way they think about it. I would tell to a, a person in a non-Redemption Hill church, you better think about your church that way. You better think about it that way. Because it's true. It's true. It's the best day of the week. Why? Because we are never closer to heaven on earth than when we are in the midst of the corporate worship of Christ's gathered body. We are never closer. Because Christ saved individuals to put them into a community. And when we are physically gathered with that community, that is the closest that we have to heaven. When God has gathered a people who in unity and diversity worship his name. That is the closest it gets. Since Christ is present in a particular way when we gather, we ought to miss and be late to Sundays as infrequently as possible. I would urge this to be a priority for you. And, and you all know what I mean. It's one thing if you're deathly ill and wildly contagious to stay home from church. It's another thing if you have an ache here and a fatigue there to not come. I would urge you, and I know this, this pastors are always reluctant because it seems self-serving. It just isn't. It just isn't. People will thrive when they make those kinds of choices. It just is the case, <laughs> okay? When you make the choice, I'm not deathly ill, I'm not wildly contagious, I'm tired, and it'd be nice to sleep in. Don't. 
come to God's people. Come to God's people. How many weeks, I remember having a conversation with someone years and years ago about the number of weeks they were planning on being gone over the course of the year. I remember challenging this person saying, listen, you, you have a number of weeks, quite a large number of weeks that you're planning on being gone, but you're, you're not infallible. I mean, won't there be weeks that you'll also get sick, that you have to plan on the unplannable, and, and isn't it possible that there'll be a vacation that you have to plan on at some point in there? So isn't, all together, do you really think it's wise if that percentage you're planning on missing of the most important day of the week it ought to be rare. I'm not saying never, but never and rare ought to be pretty close to each other. Rare. Rare. Because it's the best day of the week. And come to Sundays with faith and anticipation of what God will do in our hearts while we were there. Listen, these things wildly relate to godliness because these are the kind of habits of life that are conducive to godliness. They stir up our souls We see God who has saved us in our private moments, in our family moments, and frankly, they build together. The person who only attends corporate gathering but never spends time with the Lord is going to be anemic in some way. The person who only spends time with the Lord, never comes to family gathering, is going to be anemic in some way. These things are meant to be a well-balanced diet of regular patterns that are conducive to spiritual growth. I can almost guarantee a person who is neglecting one or several, especially several, of these practices, no matter how hard they are working to grow, is going to find themselves frustrated because they're not receiving the ordinary means of grace. God has established the ordinary means of grace. Can God bless a person who's neglected? Sure, God can do whatever he wants, but normally God works in these means. And if we neglect these means, it is almost certain that we will see spiritual decline. And actually, I would say that to be categorically true in my experience when it comes to the corporate gathering, people who consistently neglect that sooner or later will see sharp and severe spiritual decline. I just have seen it now, it's, it's 20 years, over and over and over again. They drift, they don't go somewhere else, they don't plug in somewhere else, and three years later you find out they're divorced, they've denied the faith, their family has fallen apart, they, and you look back and think, how is that possible? I never could have imagined that that person would be there. And you look back and say, oh, yeah, there was that season where all of a sudden they weren't attending as much, they weren't in fellowship, they weren't regularly, nobody was asking about their private relationship with the Lord, and then there was a season where they seemed neutral and fine, no big deal, and then all of a sudden it was like they fell off a cliff, and you can look back and say, yep, there it was. So I've just taken to be way more the case now that when people say, hey, we're going to move on from your church, fine, I, you, <laughs> I understand, I'm the pastor, I get why you'd want to move on, but you better go somewhere. You better plug in somewhere and get involved there because I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you, if you don't, you will experience severe spiritual temptation and potentially spiritual decline. I urge you to make that a practice. Here in our church, if you're not in our church, wherever you are in the future. Finally, community fellowship. Ephesians 4 says, speaking the truth in love We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. I I love these phrases. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is applied, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow 
<laughs> Paul loves participles and phrases, so you've got to work sometimes to see the, the sentence diagram, but just look, look down there. No, notice this. The whole body, bunch of phrases, blah, 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 makes the body grow. The whole body, and then he explains, joined and held together, every joint with script. When each part is working properly, it's like Paul's, he lives for parentheses. <laughs> and then he gets back to his verb. Makes the body grow so that, and just to make sure you didn't miss it with all of my random rabbit trails, it builds itself up in love. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews makes it even more punchy. Exhort one another every day. <laughs> as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're called to give and receive in fellowship and to experience the normal rhythm of giving and receiving encouragement and exhortation, comfort and warning. This is the way the church grows. Since we are united to Christ, we are truly united to each other. Our goal is to experience the joy and freedom with each other that Christ has already won for us, to love each other in the way Christ loves us. As we encourage in humble, gracious, honest fellowship, the Spirit will cause all of us to grow. Kevin DeYoung again says, I've never met a Christian who was healthier, more mature, and more active in ministry by being apart from the church, but I have found the opposite to be invariably true. The weakest Christians are those least connected to the body. The reason I separate the corporate gathering from community fellowship, it is possible to show up at church to receive and yet to neglect all of the one another's of the Bible. I'm not saying it couldn't happen on a Sunday, but it is possible that people just show up, they listen, they sing, they go home. And yet, the Bible calls us to much more than mere attendance. It's not less than attendance, but it is more than attendance. And there has to be these kinds of one another's where we're, we're speaking the truth and love one another, we're warning each other, we're encouraging each other, we're building each other up, we're, we're bearing one another's burdens. That, that's the nature of New Testament Christianity. And apart from that habit and practice, we're going to be anemic. And no matter how much we understand sanctification, I, I, I know people who have, who have great understanding because of their background in sanctification, and yet because they're not actively practicing fellowship, they are put in a dangerous spiritual condition. It, it, knowledge <laughs> does nothing unless it's applied. So to know how one grows is not growing, just like to read the word is not obeying it. So there, there has to be actually the doing, and one of the things we have to do is be in fellowship with other people. Listen, if, if God thinks that, then we ought to think it too. Conclusion. May our lives be defined by these habits so that by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, little by little, with sights of clear progress and through seasons of frustrating struggles, God makes us a godly people for his glory. These habits aren't always spectacular. They're frequently ordinary. You won't even always see the connection. I love something DeYoung says in his book, A Whole, I think it's A Whole in Our Holiness, where he says, often God is at work in ways sanctifying you that you're not even conscious of. <laughs> but as you go through these habits over time, and as you faithfully apply them personally, you will be positioned to grow towards God. Let me encourage us. Cultivate these habits so that little by little, 
with seasons of spiritual sight and also seasons of long struggle, God will make us a people for his glory. All right, let me pray. Lord, I pray you would do that. I pray that you would, Lord, bring to mind whatever I've said, Lord, that was useful and take out whatever was confusing or <laughs> unhelpful, Lord. Let, let it linger. Let some things linger uh, in the heart of everyone present. And Lord, make us a godly people. We want to please you, Lord. We, we want to live for your glory. We want to live in fellowship with you. We want to live empowered by your spirit and, and consciously setting our minds on things above where you are. Lord, we, we want to do the things that please you. We want to hear well done, and therefore we want to do things that are pleasing to you. Help us to do that, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen.